Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. This week, very welcome to have back to the podcast, Film Inquiries' own Jake Tropola. Jake, a happy 4th of July weekend to you. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Jesse. Um, you might be uh, hearing some some occasional booms in the background. Uh, my neighborhood is uh, is popping off the fireworks, as they say. So, uh, so your yeah. your your neighborhood is the one with all the like fireworks that I'm hearing in the at the house that I'm staying at in Los Angeles. <laughs> it, it's one of them. You can you can find fireworks anywhere in LA. So I guess yeah, you'll be seeing or you'll be hearing a lot of them. And if you're in LA tonight, the uh, the entire night sky will be. Uh, be lit up all right uh so jake we're kind of in the middle of summer movie season a very strange summer movie season but fourth of july weekend i feel like is kind of like the you know the centerpiece of the summer movie season and this is kind of a weird fourth of july weekend uh in terms of the movies coming out we aren't going to be talking about kind of the two that are which are the boss baby two and the forever purge um however correct me if i'm wrong i feel like the the sort of flashier uh releases this week are all kind of streaming releases which is is maybe a uh a sign of the the times that we're heading into and um i i figured we could talk for just a second about how weird that is particularly with the first movie we're going to talk about which is the Tomorrow War, which I feel like even five years ago, this would have been a a massive theatrical film, and this movie is sort of a journey to homes this weekend, not theaters, but homes is kind of interesting. Of it was a a big budget original Paramount blockbuster that they sold to Amazon, and now is just uh, available to watch at home on your television. Um, is, is that maybe kind of like, regardless of how you and I feel about the movie, do, is, is that kind of like a troubling notion to you? We've been talking about a lot on the show, like how the, the movie going experience is sort of changing within the, the last few months. And this, this seems to me kind of like a significant sort of symbol of where we're at, that kind of a big gigantic summer blockbuster movie is just like, watch it at home. It's not the big 4th of July weekend movie is just something that's on Amazon. It's not something that everyone's going to a theater to go see. Yeah, well this um this originally had a a Christmas uh 2020 release um so which is uh probably one of the like the biggest movie movie going times of the year. Right. If you get if you get a Christmas day release, that's that's expected to do some numbers. Of course, you have this leading man who's been in these franchises before. So yeah, they it's it's quite evident to me that they were banking on this being like a big theatrical release. Um, and yeah, it it just kind of got delayed by well, I mean it not kind it did get delayed by the the pandemic. And uh, I think just rather than shuffle it back on, I don't know if it's it was the the decision based on the merits of the film's quality itself, which I'm sure we will get into, but. Yeah, it just kind of got dumped into this this streaming uh, release, and now we have uh, the Tomorrow War to watch from the comfort of our own home. And uh, yeah, I mean, you said you said there was four movies that came out this week, but I think um, 
yeah, the two that more people would be inclined to see are the ones that are went straight to uh, streaming, which is definitely not the norm because you would probably expect people to be going back to the theaters. But I don't, I, I had no idea until you said that Boss Baby Two was out. So um, I, I, uh, I, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I missed that news. But um, yeah, it is it is a strange time as we're all kind of adjusting like what and also I, I don't know what the rules are for what is going to streaming, what is going to um, go to theaters. Uh, it's still it still seems like something we're still figuring it out as the world opens up, as you will. Yeah, so let's maybe talk about the movie a little bit. Um, essentially, the, the I, I guess the the elevator pitch for this movie is. Uh, a a group of people from the future travel back in time to our present and basically announce that there is a war in the future between a dangerous alien species that has overtaken the planet. Most of the human race has been wiped out, so now they need people from our present to time travel to the future to help fight this war. Chris Pratt plays a... I, let, let's use quotation marks every man to uh who is drafted and must be sent into the future um let's let's maybe start start things out with talking about chris pratt how how do you feel about chris pratt as an action star because i i feel like both you and i i do not think are very high on this movie and i think that pratt as a movie star and where he is as a movie star now, I think is sort of like the perfect Rosetta stone into unpacking this movie, which I think has a lot of other problems, but I think it's, it's sort of central problem kind of has to deal with a very awkward Chris Pratt conversation we need to have. Yeah. Um, and this has nothing to do with like his, with his personal life. Um, but I find uh, Chris Pratt to be like a very loathsome screen presence. Um, I do not like him at all. Uh, I, I think, yeah, I think he's, I don't think he's funny. I don't think he's charismatic. I think he's obnoxious. Um, I, I, I don't really like, I don't even like him in the guardians movies, which is probably the best use of his uh, talents as, as who he is. Um, I mean, I've never, I've, I, I've never seen an episode of parts and rec, so I didn't really have that kind of background with him, but just based on what I have seen, he's, um, he's pretty funny on that show. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never know. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's not, he's not a, like an action star that I want to like see or follow. And so, um, this being a Chris Pratt vehicle does not appeal to me. Um, first of all, I do want to say thank you for uh, having me back again on another, uh, time travel film. Uh, I was last on Tenet and, uh, so the movie's got, uh, some sort of time that... travel in it. I will, uh, I will be there for it. Um, but a little, little background actually with me in this movie. Um, I don't know if you listen to, uh, another podcast, uh, called the Doughboys. Have you heard of that podcast or listened to it at all? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar to it. I've, I've never, uh, personally listened to it, but I'm, I'm aware of it if only because its hosts have appeared on other podcasts that I have listened to as, as guests. Yeah. So, um, the Doughboys, it's uh, just quick for the audience. It's uh, it's hosted by these two comedians. Uh, one is L.A.-based writer Nick Weiger. The other one is uh, from Quincy, Massachusetts, uh, writer, actor, comedian Mike Mitchell. Uh, Mike moved to L.A. and they started the show together. Basically, it's a show where they review chain restaurants. And uh, I guess about two years ago now, um, Mike Mitchell announced that he was going to be in a feature film 
that was produced by J.J. Abrams. And the film was originally known as Ghost Draft, and it got changed to Tomorrow War. And he's uh, he's the character. Uh, his name is Robert Cowan in the movie. He's like the big guy with the beard. That's the he's the host of the podcast. So like for the past year and okay. a half, I've been hearing him do nothing but talk about how he was excited for this movie. And he was actually kind of heartbroken because when 2020 came around at the top of the year, he was like excited like the movie had a Christmas release and people were going to see it. And he's like, this is going to be the year I make it big as an actor. And he was really enthusiastic. And then the pandemic shut everything down and he like moved back home with his mom. And, uh, and then the movie decided to go straight to streaming. So it was not the star making event. He, he wanted it to be, but he still like put his heart out into promoting the film and every guest they've had for the last month on the show has been involved with the film in some way. Like they had, director Chris McKay, they had uh, guest actor Sam Richardson, um, Mary Lynn Rice Cub was on the show, and then they also had a brief interview that they got to do with Chris Pratt. He wasn't on a full episode, but he was on the most recent one. So, like, he's really just kind of been pumping his own listenership up just to see the, the Tomorrow War. And so if I would admit I would see the movie for any reason, it would just be to see this uh, comedic podcast host that I like be a second or a side character in this action movie. Um, and I was really disappointed with how much he is actually in it, especially compared to how long the film is. So that's uh, the background I had coming into the film. And that's what I knew about it is I was basically on board just to see at least it, at least have watch it for uh, for Mike Mitchell's appearance. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, otherwise probably like if he was not even involved in it, I probably wouldn't even watched it um, unless you, of course, asked me to do so for the podcast. But um, it's this is not the kind of film I would have like sought out to see uh, on my own just just because of like what I said about Chris Pratt at all and everything. Yeah, I only had kind of a vague knowledge of it over the last few years as you know reading about it in trades as kind of just Chris Pratt alien movie. Um, you know, with uh Chris McKay who did the the Lego Batman movie, and so thinking that it was that maybe going to. I actually have not seen that movie, but not not exactly a stamp of approval you just gave it. So I was uh, well, maybe, I saw maybe... I saw and enjoyed Le- uh, just the regular Lego movie, and uh, I was like, oh, this is fun. And then I saw Lego Batman, and I just was like, okay, I'm d- I'm done with this format now. <laughs> you can go away. Yeah. So I, I I think knowing that I expected something that was maybe a little bit more um, comedic, a little bit more winking or self-knowing or, or or something more of a an action comedy and i think part of my problem with pratt is i think as as he's pushed himself and as the industry has pushed him into being more of a conventional leading man it is it has sucked any personality out of him um you know i i do think there is something kind of lovable about him on parks and recreation and i think at least the first guardians movie i think gets a little bit of of that personality and how to use it in sort of a fun ensemble way this sort of like juvenile jokey but still kind of like lovable and schlubby guy um as as he's as hollywood or or as he himself has sort of wielded his personality into more of a conventional leading man i i feel like he's kind of just like the discount store version of like a harrison ford or a kurt russell like 
is is going for that kind of leading man. I mean, even in the the Jurassic Park movies he's in, like he's doing Indiana Jones. It seems in the Guardians movies for the most part, he's doing Han Solo, but it feels like, you know, your 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 cheap knockoff version of that kind of movie star. And the more that he has been pushed into this conventional, uh, handsome leading man, I just sort of find him boring. It, it and and of the only thing seems to be he is there to sort of remind me of another era or another kind of movie star who I would just rather see the more, um, you know, th- I would rather get the original version of that. Or thinking about this movie, which is an alien invasion movie, it's a time travel movie. I think as you and I will kind of talk about it a little bit more, it's kind of kind of one of its biggest problems is it just sort of reminds you about like 10 other better movies as you're watching it. And one of the ones that I thought of, a, you know, 4th of July movie, if there ever was one, Independence Day, um, you know, take Will Smith in that movie and... and I think one of the reasons a movie like that succeeds is it doesn't quote unquote have the most sort of original premise in the movie. Aliens come down and attempt to take over the world. The earth fights back, but you get moments of all of these movie star personalities to come out. And I mean, like that's the movie that made Will Smith pop as a movie star. It's like that and bad boys. And this movie is the tomorrow war is so robbed of any moment of personality in any of its characters and i i think the central problem kind of is pratt he him as a leading man he's got the looks of a conventional leading man but he does not have that kind of charisma and um i I don't know it's just his the the mode he goes to as an actor is just to suck anything that hypothetically would be interesting about him as a performer out in order to be more heroic. And that just kind of makes the movie more boring to watch. And as you hinted, this is a very long movie. It's like almost two and a half hours. And I kind of just found it a slog to sit through. Yeah, it is. It's definitely a slog to sit through. And um, I think, uh, I think, I think Pratt is like, he's genuinely very boring uh, in this film. And a lot of it, you know, it's, it's shot on this like future set where probably most of what they have is just uh, like uh, like st- just like streets for like a back lot or like there's like a science lab set, but it's mostly just he's in this green screen world and like he he's not reactive in any way. His eyes are like like it just kind of glazed over. Like even early scenes where you know he has to he, like just we see his domestic life. You know him and his wife and his daughter just kind of feel very rote and boring. And then him is a, he's a science teacher as well. And he's just, you know, giving a very, like his heart's just not in the work. Uh, I, I don't think he's, he's not really, he's here for like a check and they, they cast him because he's a name and, you know, the, hopefully the, this, this film could be something because audiences will turn, they turned up for the guardians movies and the Jurassic movies. And they, they, you know, he's, he's not here because this is a project that he believed in. He's here because he was the most available part that could be this essential centerpiece. And it, it really just shows in the performance, how, how workmanlike it is and that he's not, yeah, he's like, I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford. And I rewatched Raiders of the Lost Ark like a week ago. And uh, that movie is so good. 
it's so it's so it's like out on 4k blu-ray now it's so wonderful and just to see i was just so sad watching it a to see that you know harrison ford doesn't act like that anymore but just that mode of like filmmaking is gone like there's no sense of adventure this is just such we got to get into the movie itself i mean this is this is like just i (laughs) the problem with time time travel movies is that um especially with this one which is a time travel action movie is that i'm thinking about the science of the time travel itself and the reasons they do what they do in this film. And uh, it's sort of a film where you're supposed to just ignore that and enjoy the action. But I don't think think it really offers anything exciting in in its action. It's all just kind of very generic shoot-em-ups with CG alien spiders. So my mind turns back to the time travel um, science. Uh, And, but yeah, basically, so you, you said the premise, it's, uh, people from the future come in through this giant purple portal. They interv- interrupt a uh, like a football game on Christmas Day, um, and they tell people we are at war. I, in the I future. have to stop to say, I have to stop to say that it is the World Cup, which people are somehow watching at Christmas, even though the World Cup, to my knowledge, is never played at Christmas time. <laughs> That's just a weird like. I take I this with a grain of salt. <laughs> I read one sentence online somewhere that the 2022 World Cup is supposed to be on Christmas. So that's an oh, attempt okay. at... okay. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Anyways, forget that it's the World Cup. It, giant soccer game interrupted. People are coming out of a portal. They're all in military garb. Say, we're at war in the future. Everyone immediately, like, takes this seriously. And then the... All like the world's governments institute the worldwide draft, uh, and basically you're selected to see if you can fight in this future war. What they do is they send you into the future for one week, and you either live or you die. And twenty percent of the people who are sent into the future survive because it's just like the world is so torn up. They also mention that thirty years in the future, the entire world population is only five hundred thousand people. And most of it just seems to be the military that's in the future fighting, which seems insane. Um, but the one thing they, that you're chosen, why, the reason why you're chosen to go to the future to fight is because the future people, they look at your life records. And if they determine that you die sometime between now and the 30 years that the war takes place, that makes you an eligible candidate in their draft. And then that's why you get drafted to fight. Um, so rather than face your own, uh, your, your own path of life, you're plucked from your own time stream and then you're dropped into this new one, the implications of which are not ever discussed. Because I think if you hold somebody from how they're supposed to live and eventually die, and if they die somewhere else, isn't that going to have horrible implications for their future in the future world? If they, if they're disrupting the flow of time, as it were. I, I don't know. That's like the, that was like the first big hurdle for me is like this. This doesn't make any sense. Like, it's, yeah, it, this and, literally uh, feels like first draft stuff. Yeah, the time travel stuff in this movie makes absolutely no sense um, and, and seems to be wanting to have it kind of like both ways of the theory of time travel in which, you know, every action is sort of creating a, a theoretical kind of alternate reality or you know, the the version of time travel that we kind of got to explore a bit with Tenet in which sort of like every everything is happening as it is meant to happen and sort of like every, 
the there's but one timeline and everything is sort of having a a cause and effect on it and you're never going to be able to change anything um i here's a theory i had about the movie that i kind of couldn't get out of my head that i want to kind of float by you i think this movie is a perfect candidate for this idea of how video games and video game storytelling is kind of negatively affecting some blockbuster movies. The entire time I was watching this, I was thinking this would be much better served as a video game because it seems to be, it, you know, it has this kind of high concept setup. There is the the sort of newsreel footage of the, the sort of socioeconomic implications of this. And then once the story actually gets going, it seems very much kind of like vague exposition scene of like, we need to get this. This is our next objective. And then these action scenes that, that I don't know. I just kept envisioning what the video game version of, but you mentioned these kind of like bland shoot 'em up sequences, which I think are shot in a very video game manner. Like it's just sort of the, this kind of like big war zone sequence when Pratt first gets sent to the future. All of that sequence is basically just sort of like these two shots of like actors just sort of like firing guns at random things and then us getting kind of like an almost video game POV shot of an alien creature coming towards the camera and dodging the bullets. And, you know, there's other sequences like we got to get Pratt uh, to this certain platform so he can shoot back into the past and meanwhile aliens are storming the uh i think it's an oil rig or something where he's on and so yeah. they're constantly having to shoot around them as as though it is like a halo game or a doom game or a sequence where they have to uh capture an alien and the way that is shot feels very much like a video game sequence in which like you yourself are having to trap the alien and it, it is maybe like shooting its it's tail or forgive me all the people who know the anatomy of these aliens better than I can. And like, I'm envisioning the, the sort of like red, uh, kind of aura that goes around your screen whenever you're hurt in a video game and you got to like work somehow like that is a level you got to trap this alien, but just every, the, the whole structure of this movie felt like this video game structure of here's the cutscene to vaguely explain what your next mission is. And then, an action scene that is basically just the mission. And I don't want to say that to necessarily say like, like I love the mission impossible movies and those are, are very much like here's the next mission. Here's the next MacGuffin, but it's beyond that. It's, it's just sort of like, there's almost no kind of overarching story. It's just like, everything is a, uh, we need to get to this place to get this person but we don't really understand why any of this matters to kind of the larger story, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean like the first objective they have when they land, um, which by the way, like this movie immediately kind of made me unreasonably angry in that it starts with this in media res opening of them going through the portal into the future and they all land on the, the roof and they see the world and then like cuts to black and it says 28 years previously. And I'm like, why do we need that little intro? Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, anyways. Um, but yeah, like the first objective they have when they land is they have to go into this like science lab and they have to get the 12 blue vials of the toxin, which is a video game objective. You have to go exactly. in and you, you have to get the object so you can advance to the next stage. Then you get, you know, they get the hel- they get helicoptered out. Then 
you have to capture the alien. So you have to go into the alien lair and like lure it into the trap so that you can close the doors on it. And then like at the end, you have to go into the alien hive. You have to use the item you collected earlier to inject it into the alien sack and fight more aliens. Yeah, it is. It is very much just a bad video game. And I think video games on their own, like it's it's too it's this is something that people have not been able to figure out is how to make video games into movies and vice versa is that they're both fine as their own mediums but there's crossover that kind of makes it difficult to translate exactly so like if the tomorrow war were just like a a video game i downloaded over the weekend i'd probably have an okay time playing it like i enjoyed halo back in the day and yeah i i like a good shooter but like watching it play out where i have no control and it's two and a half hours um that's just not fun to me (laughs) I, i i have no interest in watching this movie um, as it is that should have been a video game yeah it 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 really recaptured the feeling uh when I was in college of like sitting bored on someone's couch as they played like call of duty or something and of yeah. just sort of like a- aimlessly watching thing but having like no investment in what is going on it's just sort of a series of accomplishments and kind of uh vague military tactical (laughs) approaches to how to acquire these sort of like vague objects um do you have any other kind of like stray thoughts about the movie i think that those i think the pratt conversation and the way that this whole movie just feels like a video game that we as an audience are just sort of aimlessly watching and uninvested in we're kind of just my two big takeaways um i don't want to you know, rail too hard on the the running time because, you know, I'm I'm someone who enjoys a long movie, but that this is a movie in which the almost two and a half hour running time really really feels like God. This movie is like a bit excessive and has kind of like every every cliche from the you know poor poor Betty Gilpin who I love, but just kind of gets stuck with like the the housewife that's stuck at home to mourn and the weird sort of like. We gotta have some daddy issues, so let's throw J.K. Simmons in there and uh, get some yeah. <laughs> some daddy issues <laughs> in there. Um, I don't know. Do you have any other kind of like stray thoughts about the movie? I mean, this this really felt like it could have just been like 100 minutes. Um, I think it's like around the 93 minute mark is where like they finalize the toxin. They're exactly. on that yeah. like that oil rig base that has the giant wall surrounding it. I mean, basically they've created the final weapon that can kill these things. And then there's like one final wave of assault and they could have found maybe a way to end the movie there. Just like a 10 minute battle, wipe them out, whatever. Maybe they shoot the queen and the drones die or something. I don't know. But then no Pratt's time is up and he's transported back to the past. And then we get this whole extended like fourth act where they discover that the aliens were actually they crash landed in like the year 900 AD and they were buried under the ice in Russia uh and and like because there was a volcano ex- eruption that happened in China uh it spread ash everywhere all over eastern asia which when they took a, an alien claw they were able to examine that the ash came from this volcano and they realized oh the aliens they only emerged because global warming is melting the ice caps and the future humans are punishing us by picking their old boomer parents to fight in a war that we caused it's just it gets so weird and messagey that like i'm like did you really need this to happen and like the final like showdown is just so poorly rendered like it looks like a video game 
graphic at times. Yeah. It's, it's just terrible. Um, I, I like this could have this this movie does not need to be like none of these movies need to be over two hours long. If anything, like this is this I was asking for like a hundred an hour and forty five minutes. That's all that it needed. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just it's just too much of a of a not so good thing, and that really brings it down. Yeah, it it I I think blockbuster bloat is another sort of interesting thing that I've been noticing in recent years. I mean, uh, last week's episode, uh, you know, we had Christy and Emily to talk about the Fast and Furious series and Emily and I both talked about the new movie, which is also like two and a half hours long. And I, I kind of mentioned that sort of my one big complaint about it for better or for worse was just how much it was. And, and of just yeah. sort of like it, it did feel to me like a big bloated version of a, a much sort of leaner pulpier series. And this is yet another, I guess this is like the second week in a row but certainly not the first of the summer. I mean, I also thought, you know, the Cruella movie was a bit bloated and almost two and a half hours. It It is becoming sort of a pattern of uh, our big summer blockbusters kind of having these weird fourth acts and being needlessly long and sort of feeling like the, the, the makers behind them are sort of stuffing in everything they can because yeah. it needs to feel like a big spectacle event, but it kind of just feels like, you know, they're rummaging through the, the cabinet in the kitchen, just trying to think of things to throw into the stew of the movie. Yeah. It's, it's just weird how we're, we're at a time where like length is synonymous with epic. Like if a movie's three hours long, like if an Avengers movie is three hours long, and it's if people are gonna say, "Oh, this movie is epic," but like I get no pleasure out of watching something that long, and it doesn't make me want to revisit them. Uh, you you kind of you have to earn your length, or you have to like find a way to actually use it. Like another film I rewatched right. recently that's three hours long is Heat, which I would probably rank Incredible. in maybe my top 10 films of all time that movie earns it's three hours uh everything is flushed out you care about everything it's it's the definition of epic um yeah it's it's totally deserved and it's it's just a great movie um the tomorrow war does not earn it's two and a half hour runtime it's it's just a overlong like misguided should have been a video game effort and it's it's i'm thinking maybe like you know they took another look at it after it's post Christmas 2020 release and said, well, you know, we've, we've already put like hundreds of million dollars into this thing. Do we want to change our marketing for, or just, you know, have Bezos write us a check and we'll drop it on Amazon prime. Um, so, I mean, it's very cynical to think about, but like, it's, it's just, it's not a movie that's going to set the world on fire. It's just weekends entertainment. Nobody's going to talk about this movie next week. We are actually, this is the last stop for the tomorrow war discussions is you and I, discussing yes. it here nobody's nobody's gonna ever mention it again unfortunately well speaking of heat which you you so wonderfully mentioned and i think is a great example of like a three-hour movie that uh you know it feels like the world of that movie is beyond even the running time of of that movie and um you know i feel like could go on forever and that three hours just flies by um but it's also a heist movie and you and i are both people who enjoy heist movies i feel like i know i do sure yeah absolutely yeah and we got a we got a new heist movie 
No Sun Move, which is also a new Steven Soderbergh movie, which is kind of like a double whammy for me. Um, you really, really enjoyed this movie from what I saw on your social media. Um, yeah. I, I had fun with it as well. I don't think I'm quite as high as you, um, but I, I, it, it checked another enough pleasure boxes for me that I, I would, you know, gladly recommend it to anyone. Do you want to kind of just like uh, kick us off and, and just talk about like what you really enjoyed about it? Yeah. Um, so I haven't seen many films released this year. Um, and, uh, I think prior to this, my number one of the year may have just been nobody, which is just a, a Bob Odenkirk beat him up with, uh, that I greatly enjoyed. But, um, yeah, no sudden move. Uh, I just, you know, I put it on the Thursday, Friday night it came out and, uh, yeah, I'm just sitting there watching it. And like, I would honestly say that the first hour of the film ranks amongst Soderbergh's best work. Um, I think that stuff is all riveting. Once we get into the second half with this, like, oh, it's the plans for a catalytic converter, and it's like, oh, the the auto companies are keeping it a secret, all this, it kind of kind of fizzles out a bit. Yeah. But there's still strong act performances, you know, through the end of the film. Um, but, yeah, it just, it the film just kind of opens up, like, just with this authority. Like, it, we have Don Cheadle, who also is kind of freed from the Marvel machine. It's great to see him like give like one of the best performances he's given in I don't know how long. Definitely, um, yeah. Yeah, and the whole the whole cast is just it's just all these great Soderbergh regulars and some new faces and it's it's and also just like seeing Soderbergh make like a genre film and like handle it so well. It was just I don't know, it was just exciting to see for a change and like I, I've always loved Soderbergh, and I, I think you know he's one of the best directors working today. Like even if he retires every three years, and but just always seems to come back with something else. But yeah, I don't know. I think I just think it it worked, and I think um, Ed Solomon's uh, screenplay it's it's very tight. You know, there's a nice web of uh, names and characters and relationships to kind of follow. I think uh, another watch would probably clarify a lot of questions I have about you know who's behind what, but. Yeah, I was just uh, I was pleasantly surprised with how fun No Sudden Move was, and uh, as of now, it's the the best film I've seen this year that came out this year. What did you think? Yeah, I think my yeah, I think my only two problems with it. Um, I think I found the. I don't quite think the movie has necessarily a, a firm grasp on the both the mechanics of its plot, which to some extent I know is kind of a convention of the you know these kind of pulpy crime stories um you know like the big sleep doesn't make sense if you try and and unpack it but but there are yeah. pleasures to be had beyond its its premise um and so i i kind of can't lie in saying that like i found plenty of it pretty confusing especially when it gets into its second half and the the stuff with the the sort of um, I don't want to fully spoil it, but or spoil who comes into the cast later. But I will say, if you you know have seen plenty of Steven Soderbergh movies, you won't be too surprised. Um, but all the stuff with uh, the motor industry, and I think what this movie is kind of trying to say at the end about um, corporate malfeasance and and the the links corporations will go to uh, in order to sort of protect their bottom line, felt a little tacked on to me. Um, I kind of get that the movie was going for this uh, sort of Chinatown-esque kind of like we, we're sort of uh, Trojan horsing a, a story about powerful, wealthy people 
being able to sort of get away with anything within this kind of fun, pulpy crime story. But I didn't find that aspect of it as effective. That being said, this yeah. is still like I I greatly enjoy Steven Soderbergh's commitment to that this sort of dime dime store uh paperback novel aesthetic with this movie and like you said Don Cheadle clearly having a blast Benicio del Toro having a blast Brendan Fraser Kieran Culkin um I'm just rummaging through the cast here because there's so many <laughs> good names John Hamm yeah. David Harbour um Amy Simons is Amy, great David yeah. David Harbour, I want to make special mention. Um, I don't know if this is as sacrilege as my um, Chris Pratt is loathsome comment, but uh, I typically don't like uh, David Harbour in movies. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think he's he can be very just kind of loud and broad a lot of the time, um, and I'm not particularly a fan of Stranger Things either. So yeah. it's kind of great just to see him as this like frazzled uh, husband who kind of gets caught into the middle of everything. And, um, I, yeah, I really enjoyed his performance in this, but, uh, yeah, the other ones you mentioned, you know, Benicio is obviously great. Um, Ray Liotta shows up as a, a mob boss. He's having a lot of fun. Uh, Julia Fox from uncut gems. I think she's, she's kind of great as like a gangster's mall. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of terrific performances. So again, maybe that just kind of added to the fun of watching it, but just seeing all these, these veterans kind of like, you know, contribute to this pulpy crime thriller is is just great yeah and i really admire soderbergh's um pivot i think in in recent years into i just want to make fun movie star movies and he he clearly is someone i mean this is kind of getting back to our our pratt conversation a little bit i mean he is soderbergh is someone who i think really gets movie stars and really gets the essence on what makes um, an actor, a movie star, and what they can bring to a movie and the the kind of chemistry that they can have with one another. Um, I mean, I think that's what makes his heist movies especially so fun. I mean, I, I personally would not put this as high as, like, I love all the Oceans movies and could, mm-hmm. like, rewatch those all the time. I'm a big fan of Out of Sight. Um, I even have kind of a soft spot for Logan Lucky, which I thought like i remember seeing in a theater and was like that was a blast and then like no one went and saw it and was just like what the fuck is wrong with you america that movie is so much fun and i i I had had a good time watching that one too um that was like his first post-retirement movie right uh, if i'm not mistaken he like he did behind the calendar labra retired quote unquote uh somehow directed two seasons of a tv show in his retirement which if you haven't seen the nick uh check it out that's terrific stuff yeah pretty awesome but I mean, yeah, just like Logan Lucky. I mean, I, I think I think there's there's no nothing wrong with any just director who at this point, with all that he's accomplished, it just wants to make movies and have fun. I mean, that's that's like compared to I mean, I mentioned I rewatched Raiders earlier, but like Spielberg has just lost his touch, and like I didn't like I didn't like Ready Player One. I'm not looking forward to anything else that that man ever makes. I I think you know he's long gone. He's just kind of on autopilot. And I think, yeah, even if Soderbergh just like says, hey, I'm going to shoot a couple movies on an iPhone. And like I'll like I really liked High Flying Bird. And I'm like one of the one of the few, I think, unsane and like supporters as well. Um, I didn't see the last two films he did. Uh, the Laundromat or Let Them All Talk. I heard not as many good things. But I, I am 
yeah, I'm not as big of a fan of uh the laundromat, but um yeah, I I certainly know people personally who are defenders of it. Um yeah. I cannot get on that wavelength. Uh I and I I think let them all talk. I I would say is is pretty fun. You you might enjoy it. I mean I mean it it, it fits into kind of what one, yeah. what we are talking about of it is just sort of like like it is a kind of middle brow adult movie that just Hollywood has no interest in making anymore and it, it is just like, you know, these women on a cruise ship. Yeah. Just like ha- they're they're just trying to have a vacation and like that's the movie and there there is is just I think he understands uh sort of the the pleasure that we as audiences can get out of seeing certain people on screen and how to um sort of help them deliver that maximum level of movie star pleasure um yeah who who to you is kind of like your favorite performance in this movie in this movie oh uh easily i mean don Cheadle um is is great i mean just like for the reasons i mentioned it's nice to like see him back but uh, this is this reminds me of um every film he did. I'm um, like okay, uh, uh, Carl Franklin's Devil in a Blue Dress. Uh, yes, Denzel. I, I thought played, of that the entire time. He steals the show as this guy named Mouse. He's like this hitman who comes to town to help out Denzel. He's fantastic in that movie, and this kind of feels like maybe an an older Mouse storyline that we never got with a with a Devil in a Blue Dress sequel. But that that was on the back of my mind watching uh, this film, and and I thought, yeah, this is. This is like, you know, this is like the, the, the devil sequel I wanted to see. It's it's great, even if it's, you know, 20, 25 years in the making. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of could not help but think of that movie the in, the entire time. And, and another great example of, of someone doing a very, like, old school, pulpy noir movie with and, and understanding kind of the essence of the movie stars at its center. Um, I, I just kind of have to shout out benicio del toro who's just kind of one of those actors that like no matter what he's doing i kind of just have a smile on my face watching him and and there's just something about how effortlessly charismatic he is and and uh i i had a a professor in college who i I remember distinctly sort of saying like in his eyes benicio del toro was the the greatest living actor and was just sort of like Benicio del Toro is doing so much and and is making so many very specific choices in every scene, but it's it's all the most like minor behavior and it all feels like very very natural and very very attuned to him and he's he's sort of doing so much um just while just by kind of like slouching in a chair or kind of like staring at someone or kind of like quietly whispering or something and I don't know. He he's just one of those people that whenever he pops up in something, it's I I never don't like him in anything. He's always kind of like the most enjoyable thing about anything he's in, in my opinion. He's got that in this movie, especially. He's just kind of got that great hangdog expression that's just right. always on his face. Um, but uh, I also I wanted you know an actor who I've not seen in years is in this is uh, Brendan Fraser. Um, yeah, you know, I I. He, he's really good in this too i think you know it's it's kind of like if you know his personal story it's kind of sad like why he's been missed for so long but right I think, I think what you said about um like soderbergh he doesn't cast based on the performance an actor can give he casts on their essence i think that's just such a like a, a fundamental point of all of his films like 
even films I, I love like Haywire with Gina mm-hmm. Carano, uh, rest in peace. Um, like, you know, she's uh, like, she's not cast because she can act. She's cast because she can beat up like a half a dozen of Hollywood's most like handsome leading men in this thriller. You know, it's, it's, it works because like he casts for the talents that she can bring to the film, not like for something like she can learn how to do because sometimes he makes films that like right. he needs these people with the experience, they need to already be able to do this thing. And, and yeah, his, his oceans movies are like extremely well cast in that regard as well. Like each person on the crew, like, ha- like you, you probably remember them most from those films because they each bring enough of their own persona into their, their characters. And, and yeah, he's, he's just got a really good eye for that. So what would you say are kind of your favorite Soderbergh movies? Because wa- watching this this past weekend, it had me thinking about like, you know, if yeah. I had to put kind of like a top five together off the top of my head, you don't have to give me that many if you can't come up with that many. But, you know, if I had to think of my favorites off the top of my head, kind of like what, what would be my Hall of Fame Soderbergh picks? And, you know, I went to obvious, you know, the obvious ones like Ocean's Eleven and mm-hmm. to Out of Sight, which, like I said, it, I'm a, a big fan of. Um, but, you know, also thinking about I, I think Magic Mike is like i think we've come around to like that's actually a pretty like genuinely like great movie um yeah and i it was interesting revisiting contagion last year in the midst of the pandemic which maybe for my own anxiety was not the best decision but you know it was like a movie that i remember seeing it when it came out and was just like solid thriller and then like seeing it again it's like no this, this is some like masterful filmmaking right here and him being able to sort of keep all of these different balls up in the air and and sort of build this tension in kind of this old school disaster movie mode. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I, I there's still I, I was actually going through his list before we started recording. There's still a handful of ones I would like to see. Um, like, I think The Informant is a film I would very much enjoy, but I never saw it. Another um, personal favorite of mine. Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard great things, and I think it'd be fun. But um, uh, one of my favorite films, probably my. F- favorite film that he's done is the limey um mm. which i'm a uh i'm a big fan of like just in the in the like the art of filmmaking i'm a really big fan of editing is like my yeah. passion like if i could be working in movies i would be an editor and that film is like edited so well uh just kind of like with how it goes into i can't even articulate it it's just so good but like just you know terrence stamps mind and like you know seeing alternate takes of what he could do to kill like peter fonda that movie's just like impressed it's like it w- it's just a very standard film like narratively but formally it's where it really shines um, totally another film of his i really love um which again i don't know if this is my third or fourth sacrilege thing i've said uh but i think his solaris is better than tarkovsky's solaris wow uh i i mean i count um george clooney as probably my favorite actor uh who ever lived um and i think uh i think soderbergh's film does a better job of getting to the point uh quicker than tarkovsky i still love the tarkovsky version don't get me wrong but um just something about how uh his solaris moves and um i think the uh i'm i'm blanking on his who his regular composer is um but uh the score in that is exceptional um, and uh, of the Oceans trilogy, I would say the one that stands out for me actually is uh, Oceans Twelve. Um, the first one's just a great like thriller and it's a, or a fun heist movie in its own yeah. right. 
Um, but like the the second one where he goes to Europe and just like tries exercising all of his like art house instincts is is just a lot. It's just very pleasurable to watch. Like there's this I've that, cited that this on so Twitter <laughs> a couple times of like there's this shot of like Brad Pitt staring at Catherine Zeta Jones and he's like been watching her all day and it it's like this like day to night match cut of like it goes from daytime to nighttime yeah. with like he but he like hasn't moved it's it's just so like beautifully done um and yeah a few of the other ones you mentioned like Magic Mike is a lot of fun I even like the sequel but I don't know how much of Soderbergh's involvement is in that one um and then I also have to mention because I mean he he shot that one yeah, he was around for sure. Um, it's it got definitely got some of his touch. Uh, we should mention like he also he shoots and edits his own films, um, which is like something that he really likes to. They're often credited under somebody else, but like yeah. Peter Andrews is not a real person. Marianne Bernard is not a real real person. They're all him. Um, but also his debut film, uh, Sex Lies Videotape, is also great. Uh, I think James Spader and yeah. Andy McDowell are like give two of the best performances I've ever seen in that movie. Um, and that really kind of, it's really like a tough film to top that, you know, that's like their breakthrough and it's also maybe your best film, but um, yeah, he's, it's just, yeah, going through, he's, you know, he's made a lot of interesting choices um, that haven't maybe all worked. Like I'm not a fan of the good German, um, you know, despite like his, his earnest efforts to, make a 1940s film using like 1940s technology but it's just it just kind of fell flat for me but um yeah as as far as i'm concerned he's he's got more hits than misses yeah i mean the the great thing about him in in my opinion is for better or for worse he he is an experimenter he he is someone that is always like what is a genre i haven't worked in what is a a a filmmaking technology that i haven't used whether it's you know a case like the good german or with something like uh high flying bird which shot on an iphone i mean he's he is constantly looking for sort of ways to do something new which i is why i find his movies always so exciting and even even if they do not totally work for me i'm always fascinated to see what he is up to it's partly why like you know another example of his experimentation that we kind of talked about on the show months back is like he he kind of orchestrated this year's oscars which was you know i remember hearing that and being like this like that actually might be good because like steven soderbergh someone who just makes like wild choices in everything and i you know we don't have to like drudge up that whole thing again i don't think in the eyes of most people it was a total success but like another example of he just tries a bunch of stuff all the time and i think it's so exciting to still have someone like him who is willing to experiment whether it's like i said in genre in form as with a lot of these new movies i think he's experimenting a lot with distribution how we can get these sort of mid-budget adult dramas that are not prestige pictures. They're not a big blockbuster like the Tomorrow War. They're just sort of like small to mid-budget movies that if this was like 1993, like this would be just like a mainstream movie that was just like the third release of the week and yeah. like we would go see it on a Thursday or something. And and I love that there's he, someone is out there just trying to like fight for kind of like, yeah, this is a simple like fun weeknight movie. And and not having kind of any pretensions about trying to do something larger than that. 
Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a great way you, that you put it, and especially since you don't have to go anywhere to see it. It's just on. It's just streaming on HBO Max, and like a lot of people I follow on Twitter just you know put it on and were like surprised at how good of a time they had. And I think, I mean, yeah, it's he's not. He's. I think he knows he's not going to set the world on fire, but he is. He is a director who is constantly changing and seeing what you know he can and can't do. And like you know, maybe one one you know a couple of years he'll spend shooting. Uh, like a hospital drama in a period setting and like like a, like a post-depression era like series and it's yeah it's and he, he like I think people want to work with him because he also just because the way he works too is that he's he's always like he just takes it the craft so seriously like I think I recall I don't know if you follow him on Twitter at all but he's like he's at the situation but like when like he finished shooting High Flying Bird and like within the hour or the next day or something like that, he already had an assembly cut of the film complete on his computer. And so he's like, he's like just a film. Yep. He's a guy who's always like making films in his head. Like as he's like, you know, he's, he's very much, he's mentions that he's very process driven, but he's always just got that passion for putting something together and like seeing how, what works and what doesn't work. And I, you know, I think there's something just very admirable about that. And that's, that's something that's just lost on a lot of filmmakers. Still yeah, I mean, spark. even going back to um, yeah, I mean, even going back to a movie you mentioned earlier. I mean, I remember one of the like coolest things he he did in his retirement phase in quotation marks was putting out a version of Raiders of the Lost Ark on his website that was in black and white and had like no sound except for I think he put like the Social Network score uh throughout yeah. it and basically to just say like Raiders is perfect and I'm going to take away all the color and all the sound of it. And you're going to still be able to, it still works as a silent movie. And that kind of just like fun thinking about like, Hey, I'm going to take this really iconic movie and sort of fundamentally like change a bunch of major components about it and just put it out for free on my website and, and just have it be like, yeah, this is still like a this is a totally different experience, but it still is going to be just as amazing of a movie um, with all these limitations that I've added to it. That that kind of thinking that he has, I think, is um, just another example of what makes him so exciting. Yeah. And I mean, also, he's he's out there, too, like just kind of like watching and reading as much art as he can. Like every year he releases like a list of everything that like he watched and read for like the past year and it's always you know listed by like if it's a you know a movie a tv show um or you know something and like i you know it's 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 great to because i think that's part of why i enjoy watching him is because he's also very much a, a film fan as well and um i think you know there's a lot of creators out there who uh, maybe like they're not like they they do this i don't know if it's just work or what but they just don't seem to have the love of the game that uh soderbergh has and um, yeah, and I think that's why movies like No Sudden Move work is just because he he knows what works in it, and like as as you know as as far as releasing a film with a like an ensemble cast in the midst of a summer season straight to streaming, it's the best film I've seen this year. So I you know I I gotta I gotta hand it to the guy for continuing to be a great filmmaker. Well, Jake, uh, before we go, do you have any last uh, either No Sudden Move thoughts, Soderbergh thoughts, or just any other? things out there uh that people can check out over the over the next few weeks that you want to that you want to plug for us um i mean oh am i am i like plugging my twitter is this is this where that goes 
Sh- sure, if you just want, if you you would want people to watch your Twitter account for for hours on end, hey, that go plug yeah. away. <laughs> yeah, hey, if you, I mean, if you want to follow me, I'm at Jake uh, Tropila, T R O P I L A. Um, I have about like two uh, tweets a day, uh, so I'm not I'm not very frequent, which I think is good. Um, but uh, as far as like, yeah, Soderbergh and No Set of Move goes, I was again, I just I I recommend it as a, as seeing a fun movie. Um, you know, it's it's a you can watch it at home. It's streaming. Literally, there's no work that needs to be done on your end. It's just something you can check out. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next. And uh, yeah, uh, also follow like the website, Film Inquiry. Uh, check us out. We got great stuff coming out uh, as well. Um, I will say personally, I am actually getting back into my uh, my my James Bond countdown. Uh, I started writing articles last year, counting down to the next film, and it got delayed twice and twice over again. So uh, those are coming back really soon. Keep an eye out for those. Well, Jake, thank you again for stopping by the latest. Later on this month, we will be discussing the career of M. Night Shyamalan. We'll be, you know, trying to make our way through Space Jam. And, Good uh, luck with that. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. And uh, a whole bunch of other things. Maybe we'll actually do jump jump outside the reins of movies and do a, a book episode because jake did you know quentin tarantino wrote a book I, I know it i bought it is it good i haven't read it yet okay okay well uh maybe we'll do an episode on that co- coming up in the next few weeks right on well yeah thanks again for having me jesse